Welcome to the Next Door Neighbors podcast, a podcast where we talk about all things neighborly. Here are your hosts, Alex and Irina Mazukin. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, we got in the podcast today um, somebody who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, we got Jason Hibbs from Bourbon Moth. Um, I don't like like introducing people because <laughs> I don't know if I missed anything. Like maybe they don't identify with that kind of title. So what would you, how would you describe yourself? Um, a guy who makes a fool of himself for money, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's pretty vague. Is um, it, you know, on certain, I build certain things and take pictures of it, pretend to know what I'm doing a lot, you know. Yeah. I'm a YouTuber, uh, baby. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Limitless <laughs> money, baby. <laughs> Driving Lambos, cashing checks, baby. Yeah. Um, we're not far from you and I. We're not far from Logan Paul and all those Jake Paul brothers. I think we're just right around the corner. I don't know who that is, but I'll pretend like I do. You don't know who Logan Paul and Jake Paul is? No. Are they YouTubers? Oh, like the biggest. Like, uh, uh, See, I, I don't watch YouTube at all. For being on YouTube, I literally, the only thing I watch on YouTube is Dude Perfect because my son's really into that. And, and he's what? He's like seven? Yeah, he just turned seven. Yeah, I, I have a, a six, a seven and an eight-year-old, so I definitely know the, the whole dude perfect thing. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because they're far more impressed with them than they are of anything that we do. Oh, for sure. He's seen literally all their videos, and he might have maybe watched like three of mine. So. Right. And definitely right, no. not the whole video. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny how they will endlessly watch each one of their videos over and over, um, getting them multiple views. Nobody watches our stuff multiple times. No. So they'll like watch their stuff over and over, rack up millions and millions of views, um, and and they're basically putting money into Dude Perfect's pocket, man. Yeah, I know. And then he made a list in school of like 2022 20, goals, and one of them was to see Dude Perfect in real life. And so, mm -hmm. of course, we bought tickets to go see Dude Perfect this summer. So we're just giving him even more money. And we'll probably <laughs> we, buy uh, merchandise and all that stuff. So, we're <laughs> you and I we're not far from each other because uh, first of all, you're in Oregon, and I I grew up in Seattle, which okay. Seattle's the sister sister stepsister of uh, Oregon. Uh, and uh, second of all, we went to go see Dude Perfect this last fall. Oh yeah, how was it? Uh, I didn't go. I was on baby duty because we also have a baby. Uh, so I was, okay. I was I was with the babe, which I'm totally okay. I don't like I don't like public big like events just because you yeah. kind of go like I don't know you, you you get more. I just there's a lot of weirdos out there. So yeah, it, and it has nothing to do with whatever I do, but it's just like you're like, do I bring a gun? Do I not bring a gun? I can't bring a gun to do perfect. <laughs> you, know I mean? you can't bring a gun to do perfect. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, but uh, which. Sounds like they don't support the Second Amendment, which I don't. There's a reason I'm gonna unsubscribe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, they did the whole merch purchase and all that stuff there, and they mm -hmm. bought the dumbest things too. They bought like these. Man, it's the biggest hustle. It's basically this plastic diffuser um, that has one little LED inside of it. They put foam around it. Cost to make maybe seven cents. I don't know, and they're like sling that stuff for like twenty, thirty bucks out there. Oh, so. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, gotta hand so, it to them. They're definitely smart. They're killing it on YouTube. Oh, the smartest. Absolutely yeah. the smartest. I have no, I could I could speak no ill about, I wish no ill to their health. 
Yeah. Uh, well, and it's no, unfair too, because I feel like the trick shot thing is a pretty easy way to get a lot of views. But if you and me try to do woodworking trick shots, people would freak out and say that it's unsafe. Like if we're throwing a piece of plywood into a table saw while it's running. Well, you can't do that. That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, your... So as one YouTuber to another, tell me about some of the comments and do you read your comments and what kind of things do they say about you? Um, I will read the comments for usually like the first 30 to 40 minutes when I post a video mm-hmm. and then I really don't read them anymore. I'm just, yeah. I'm probably the laziest YouTuber when it comes to engagement with my audience analytics all that stuff i know nothing i learned how to check some of the analytics like a month ago because my friend keith is really into it and he was telling me all the stuff he was checking and i didn't even realize you could like see the age range of the people viewing your content or any of that i didn't even know that was a thing i just downloaded the youtube studio app like six months ago i didn't know there was an app that you could look at all that on your phone so (laughs) (laughs) that's frustrating because there's people like myself who are like reading the ins and outs of all that stuff and going, why is the video not taken off? And then you just kind of like, all right, well, I just made a product, you know, let's put this out. And then you get hundreds and thousands of views. I look at it in this way. I mean, and you know, you can just make so much money on YouTube and I could probably make more if I really dove deep into that. But I look at it in the way I'm making so much more money doing this than I ever did doing client work. And the most important thing to me is like, I'm just doing what I want to do. So I'm not gonna let the analytics depict what I'm doing. I'm not gonna do a video just cause I think like, oh, this one's gonna be a really crazy thumbnail and I could pour epoxy all over this shit and it's gonna look, oh, sorry, can I not cuss on here? Oh no, we, we encourage cussing. Okay. We um, actually have a, a minimum that has to be hit in order for okay, this perfect. thing to air. Um, I'm just not going to do stuff just to make YouTube happy. I'll do something because either I need it for my house, which is most of my projects, or I think it would be a lot of fun. And so at the end of the day, I don't know what good the analytics are going to do me because I'm not going to change to please them. So that's that's a smart way of looking at it. Now, have you how long have you been doing YouTube like full time? Or not full-time, just when you started, actually. Um, I started right at the beginning of the pandemic. So when was that? 2019 or 2020? Whenever uh, everything shut down. March, I think March of 2020 is when. Yeah, so that's when I started. started. I had two videos on YouTube, I think, that I had posted about three years prior. And quickly realized, like, I don't have time for YouTube. I was doing full-time client work. And there's just no way. If I did a video on a client build, it took five times longer and so just didn't make sense but then when the pandemic hit I had a ton of free time because a lot of my clients wanted to hold off on projects and that sort of thing and I can't sit still I got to be doing something all the time so I decided I'll just keep building stuff and make videos on it and yeah so that was beginning of 2020. So you've been only doing YouTube for two years? Yeah. So that's wild to me because you found your voice in YouTube, which now did you have a like the whole Instagram? Because you have a very substantial following on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I don't know what big on Instagram is anymore, but in the woodworking realm, I mean, I had like maybe 160, 170,000 on Instagram. And I had been doing a lot of Instagram specific content, keeping it within, you know, a minute, because that's all you could do at the time. And so I was used to putting videos together and so when I switched to YouTube, the only difference was now I had no time limit. I could go as long as I wanted. Interesting. So 
Uh, and when you decided to, was there anything that motivated you to start a YouTube channel? Yeah, I had a lot of friends doing YouTube and they kept saying, Jason, you're going to make more money on YouTube. <laughs> you got to do this. <laughs> it's very true. So you started the YouTube channel. Now, I had this experience that when I had, I didn't have nearly as many uh, um, Instagram followers when I started YouTube. I think at that point I had maybe 30, 40,000 on Instagram. And when I said, hey, I'm starting a YouTube channel, keep in mind this was like 2016, um, maybe out of 30, 40,000 people, maybe like a thousand people went over. Did you yeah. see a bigger following that like kind of like a devoted audience that jumped over? No, I feel like that's what everybody expects is like, oh, I got a huge Instagram following. All those people are going to come over to YouTube. But no, it was tiny. I would be happy to say it was a thousand. I don't even know if it was that many. Okay. I just so that's feel like people are, they're like locked into their specific thing. And if they're on Instagram, it takes a lot to get people to migrate from one platform to another. We were actually having, um, my wife and I, who we host this podcast, we had this episode yesterday. So if somebody's hearing this, this is going to come out the, the previous before this. Anyway, uh, we were talking about how the expectation that you do think that a lot of people are going to jump over. But really, uh, the, the apps are kind of designed to cater to a certain type of, I guess, uh, life, the way you live your life or the way you like to consume content. So if you're on a run or not on a run, if you're, uh, you know, getting ready for work in the morning or taking the kids to school, you're probably going to look at something quick. You're not going to read a rant. Yeah. If you're going to unwind at the end of the day and the kids are all fed and you guys are all just kind of scrolling through TV, you're probably going to tinker on some like TikTok or something like that. You know what I mean? Like everything is kind of catered to like what your life circumstance of that point of the day is in order to digest content. And I think these um, platforms, they're, they're kind of, both design and function in a way that they just cater to, um, I don't know what you're looking for. If you're looking for stat, you know, static pictures, that's Instagram's probably your jam. If you're looking for an entertainment aspect, I think YouTube is the, is the place to go. Yeah. Entertainment. I think the other big one for YouTube is education. I mean, that's the only time I ever watch YouTube personally. Well, I say that, but I'm going to give an example here that disproves that, but, um, is when I need to learn something on YouTube because I'm still learning a ton about woodworking. And so when I don't know how to do something, I'll look it up on YouTube and watch a video. And I feel like a lot of people do that. But another channel, me and my son started watching after saying I don't watch YouTube is um, Smarter Every Day. Do you ever watch that channel? No, but I'm going to jot that down. Tell me about it. So it's super interesting. It's a guy, I think he was probably an engineer or something originally. And every video is just like something that you're going to learn that day. And so he does like, we just watched one on how you breathe in a nuclear submarine. And my son likes it. It's interesting. And you do learn something, but he did one and I forget why he was talking about YouTube, but he said there was a psychological study done on people that consume, I think Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And they had all these sliding scales and different points that they tested people on. And the only one that showed a net positive for it actually being beneficial to your health was YouTube. And the only reason was because YouTube was the only one with a pretty strong educational factor to the content. So you you're actually... Your, your son yeah, said this? No, 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 no. This is in the Smarter Every Day video. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, dude, you're seven-year-old. No, 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 no. This was, this was laid out in one of these Smarter Every Day videos that... Uh -huh. YouTube's just the only one that you actually can leave having learned something and bettered yourself from, 
where all the other content is so short and so just like little Bang. release of endorphins that that's all I care about. You're not really getting anything, maybe a good laugh. That's about it. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. I, I found myself, I don't know how much like high school and, and middle school played an impact on, on your life, but I, you know, C's and D's got degrees. That was my motto. Um, yeah. so, but that was also the way mentally I was wired. You know, I, I should have been delayed what I wasn't. I'm an immigrant. So when I started school, the first grade I ever actually went into was like, I think second grade, I was seven when I moved to the States in 96. And so, um, where'd you move, you from? know, Russia, Russia, Mm-hmm. Well, that's as much as I know. I worked at a Mervin's in high school, and this Russian lady mm. worked with me, and she taught me Mervin. that one phrase. <laughs> What's her name? Was was she like Svetlana or Olga? What it was? I think she... It was like Nadia. 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 <laughs> Nadia. What was the other that's thing her. she's told me? Um, Kakdila. Yeah, Kakdila. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. That was Look it. at you, man. I think Do- you're ready. Dobre utra. I say, I say, you just put this whole wow, American YouTube on Russian back up. Wow, okay. <laughs> Especially in the current climate, I would. Uh, <laughs> my wife's Ukrainian, so we uh, we have. A oh lot of, wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting pairing right now, huh? Yeah, right now, yeah. It's. Uh, it, I mean, listen, it's it works well for us just because you know, it we have a good channel of communication, but um, yeah. But uh, going back to uh, education and what YouTube will do for you and how you consume that that content, uh, going back to why why I asked how'd you do in high school and middle school is I had zero interest and mostly because maybe my teachers didn't I didn't have the greatest of, of passionate teachers maybe they didn't like what they did but I didn't care about history I didn't care about math I didn't care about science but what I find myself now and I think maybe it's because I caught up to a certain level again because I started school so late, never did pre-K, never did, you know, kindergarten or anything like that. And then you jump into the second grade and now you're expected to like learn and have your brain process simple things. Um, I, I think there's, and because nobody held me back, I had to like catch up to like maybe mental brain cognition that I, I find myself now nerding out extensively about knowledge. And one of my favorite things to do you know, I try not to work on Saturdays and Sundays, but um, Saturday mornings tomorrow, one of my favorite things to do is get up, get a cup of coffee, and then I have like real engineering channels. I have uh, bright insight channels. I have all these channels of like guys making these 20, 30 minute videos like about Mao and China and uh, how the James Webb telescope and why it's so important and how does carbon dating work and how yeah. does you know, uh, oh, dude, you'll love, um, you'll love smarter every day. Check out that. Oh, channel. I'm excited. I'm but no, excited. I was, um, I was exactly the same way. So middle school, elementary school, middle school were the only like blocks of grades that I ever successfully made it through without either getting kicked out or dropping out. So by the time I got to high school, I hated school. My brother and sister were super smart. My brother went on to be like a really amazing engineer. My sister went on to be a nurse practitioner, loved school. I hated it. I definitely suffered with like ADD and we just, you know, looped out on Ritalin half the time. But when I got to high school, I just wanted to goof off and have fun. I ended up getting kicked out of high school for dressing up like a ninja and going to class. 
It's a whole long story, but <laughs> the SWAT team got called and they locked down the school and it was this whole. No, they thing. didn't. Are yeah, you serious? Yeah, yeah. And whoa, so I ended whoa, up how, getting. Hold on, you ahead. can't just brush over this. You can't. <laughs> you can't. We'll do a quick hard turn off of this. Well, how? Why on earth would SWAT get involved in a high school ninja well, fiasco? Did you have like was... stars and? Did you bring a no. katana to school? No, so I came to school in my normal clothes, but I had asked my parents for a birthday present. I asked them for a ninja suit. I just thought it'd be fun to have a legit ninja suit. It even had like the split toe like shoes and everything. Yeah. And I would carry it around in my backpack. And my favorite thing to do was to put it on and like sneak out of the house at night. And I'd go like climb on people's rooftops. Anyways, it sounds really... <laughs> Sounds really stupid, but I had it in my backpack and I had this really boring economics class with Mr. Weber, who's super monotone, horrible teacher. And we had a test one day and I had the ninja suit in my backpack. And so at the start of the test, I said, hey, would it be cheating if I used my ninja skills on this test? And he was like, uh, no, whatever. And so then I asked to go to the bathroom. I put this ninja suit on. I came back like full ninja suit. Everyone in class thought it was hilarious which was my only real goal, sat down, finished the test. And then the next period was lunch. So I asked if I could leave early, go home and change. Cause I always went home for lunch. So he's like, yeah, that's fine. So I left like five minutes early. So there's nobody on campus. Everyone was still in class and I was walking across in my full ninja suit mask, everything. I didn't have any weapons, but this was not too far after the whole Columbine incident. Oh, okay. And so I feel like people were just on a little more high alert and somebody saw me wearing this whole black suit and mask walking across campus with a backpack on. And so they called the police. And at this time I was already home. I got in my truck and I drove home, but little did I know while I was home eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the SWAT team was surrounding the school. They locked the entire thing down. They were going classroom to classroom trying to find this like unknown masked person eventually somebody says i think it was jason so i'm at my house eating a pb and j i still have the ninja suit on except for the mask and there's a knock at my door and it's three police officers they got their guns drawn i open the door <laughs> and they're like <laughs> the question they asked was hilarious they're like were you just at the school wearing a black suit well I can't say no, I'm still wearing the suit. <laughs> so I said, yes, they pull me out of the house. They put handcuffs on me. They're putting me in the back of the cop car as my dad comes home and my dad gets out of his truck. He looks at me, he looks at the cops and he just walks in the house. Doesn't even like come ask what's going on. I mean, that shows you like the normal stuff I would get into. It didn't. I was going to say, was this kind of like your dad's like, oh, what is what did Jason get into now kind of thing? Yeah, he knew at that point, like, well, the cops will come talk to him eventually. So they took me to high school and then they I mean, they wanted to make an example of me, I think. So they ended up suspending me for the rest of the year. And I was living in Arizona at the time and uh, a bunch of different things happened. But I ended up moving to Oregon and I just finished my high school diploma at a community college there they had like an accelerated high school diploma program which was awesome because you could do all the work for your senior year as quick as you wanted so i ended up finishing my senior year in about two and a half months i think oh that's cool and then i was just done but it's interesting because then eventually i worked for a while and decided to go to college to become a nurse and it wasn't until i was in college that i kind of really got into learning. That was the first time in my life that I enjoyed like psychology class and anatomy class 
and actually found it fascinating. And I think it was because at that point it was on my own terms. Yeah. I wasn't like being forced to do this. You have to do this. I made the decision and yeah, it was super interesting. Yeah, that's there's something that has to happen with that. And how uh, how's your boy right now in terms of like how does he treat education? Is he pretty? Does he excel in it? He's super smart, um, uh-huh. and when he tries, he does really well. Math, reading, all that. Um, he just doesn't love school, and I think mm. I personally feel like school is completely designed for girls. <laughs> well, we're going to clip this right here. So this is great. This is That's all I needed from you, Jason. We'll see you next time. I really believe that. And it's not like a sexist thing or anything. No. I just feel like men and boys learn completely different than women do. And I feel like school, the way that it's set up and you having to sit in one spot for a really long time and do a ton of worksheets, I just don't think most guys' brains work that way. I feel like that's no. girls learn really well that way. And you can actually see a shift in today's like employment that a lot more women are excelling in math and science and becoming more doctors. And I don't think it's because the guys aren't smart or they're lazy. I just think women learn a lot better in the way that schools are set up. And so he's smart. He hates sitting still, though. So it's kind of a chore to get him to sit and do all the worksheets. And the jump from kindergarten to first grade and the requirement of like how much you have to just sit and work, it's a pretty big leap. And so he's still kind of getting yeah. used to that whole aspect of things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you said about how, you know, that schooling comes almost easier for them. It's Jordan Peterson was saying how, you know, when you look at professions, um, there's more females, not to generalize, but there's more females in Professions like counseling and uh, uh, healthcare. No, I my background is healthcare before I, I started doing YouTube. Um, but it, it, there, he kind of broke it down to that women are more into people uh, and helping people, and guys are more into things. Right. That's why yeah. we would go like, well, I want to see what the inside of a tennis ball looks like. Yeah. Right. Um, so it it makes sense that there's no subject in school that we would find interesting except for lunch and PE, obviously, but that we would be like, I don't care what George Washington did, like across the Delaware. Like, but now as adults, now that we've kind of did things, experienced things, processed information and start appreciating experiences and conversations, now you go, okay, well, why was the Civil War so so huge? What was, what was the big deal? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So you, you find, and it becomes so much more fun. I mean, listen, I feel like I've learned more. Like I, I just finished. Um, I actually, I said Civil War. I just finished uh, one of the the uh, Audible books on on the Civil War, the American Civil War, and I think from this one audiobook. I think I learned more about the Civil War and had more interest uh, on the topic than if I was to do redo high school 10 times over again, right? Oh, or the sure. fact that or the fact that you can go and uh, type it out on YouTube um, uh, you know, why communism fell in Soviet Russia. Uh, and you'll see a 30 minute well done, almost documentary style, you know, uh, history lesson. And you'll walk out of that 30 minute session with the meat and potatoes uh, and have a better finger on the pulse on the subject than by you sitting through this torturous class period after period, uh, month after month. That's just, I mean, there's more, I think for guys there's far more efficient ways of learning, you know? Oh, for sure. 
Well, and I mean, I don't want to get into the political weeds of the whole educational system, but it's just, it's a broken system and somebody's going to have to fix it. I mean, there's so many things wrong with it as far as like the way that funding is dished out for most schools has a lot to do with standardized testing scores, which really limits the scope of teachers because they'd love to teach and make things more interesting, but they have to teach in a very limited parameter to get those standardized test scores up so the school gets funding. I mean... Every problem, every big problem you ever encounter, you can probably trace back to money at some point. And I don't think education is any different. And it's just, it's unfortunate, which is why I think we're seeing a huge shift in people graduating high school. Normally it was like, you have to go to college. You want to be successful. College is the way. And I do think we're starting to see a shift from that into more of the trades, especially for men, because that's how they learn better and you can make really good money in the trades right now yeah no absolutely i think trades used to be really frowned upon i think back in the day so i i come from a family of blue collar workers like a lot of people but i think now that i started my own business which is this whole like media business um i think and because i follow accounts like uh, i think uh, it's eric from uh, uh mechanical something he's a plumber but like you see people on the social media world taking trades to like an elite level where mm-hmm. the way they even like connect the circuitry or or plumb everything especially when it's like a tangled cable you know cord mess um they treat everything as an artist essentially right yeah. I, I have a i have a buddy uh, here locally we're in boise idaho um he is a, a teacher an instructor at a local lineman school and i i love I don't know anything about lineman work, but I would ask him about, you know, what do you guys do? What's the, whatever, the ins and outs. And he would tell me that whether it's this uh, transformer or whatever it is, and there'll be cables inside of it, that they teach them in school that this is your craft, you're a craftsman, um, you're an artist. So everybody would have like the way they would like, connect, uh, like run all the cables together. Everybody kind of has almost had their own like calling card. Like one guy, he does like a French braid system with this, uh, <laughs> with the set of copper and another guy will do this, you know, you know, over and under thing. Like, so you treat it like as like a high level professional. And I have, uh, I have three kids, uh, two of my boys. One is just like my oldest brother. You're describing your, your siblings. And I couldn't relate to you more on that because I, I was the dummy of my family. My, my, my oldest brother was incredibly, incredibly smart and, you know, went, got his masters and all that stuff. So school came very easy to me. Um, with me, it came very difficult. So <clears throat> going into, it's one of those, see, I, I'm losing like my train of thought right now. Um, <laughs> spaz out too much. <laughs> Got to pump brakes on it. Um, where was I going with this? Um, schooling, difficult for him, or easy for him, difficult for me. Um, shoot, I forgot where I was going with it. But the whole point I guess I was trying to make is uh, there is there's a way to treat your uh, profession. If you go, I'm just going to be a plumber and work for somebody else as a plumber, then chances are you'll get by and you'll live a happy life, especially if you kind of go like money's not important to me. I just I want freedom. But you can perform at a very elite level if you say I'm going to be a plumber, electrician, whatever it is, and then figure out how to scale that to be like a branding. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that on social media. And I think that should be a very motivating factor, which, you know, like with my boys, 
oh, I guess I see now where I was coming from. It's like, I see the relationship. My, 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 my oldest son is exactly like my, my, my brother and my dad who did like, you know, we're on math clubs and all that stuff. I didn't have that. So then my middle boy, he can't concentrate to save his life, but he's exactly like me. He doesn't, he ne- nobody ever taught him how to use his brain. I remember I, I got a prescription for Adderall. Finally, you, you met, you mentioned, uh, 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 what were you taking? Well, in middle school, I was taking Ritalin, but now Ritalin, I'm, all about, yeah, I'm now, all about the Adderall, man. Addies, <laughs> we, we, can talk about, we can talk about how that's a life-changing drug here in a second. Hey, listen, if I could, if I could do one drug I, continually, like it would be Adderall because I had a prescription of Adderall. I graduated high school and um, I was going into college as a community college. And I told my parents, I was like, listen, I barely got by. Like I did not know how to use my brain. I could not even steady my brain to focus on anything. If I'm going to do this like college, community college thing, I need something to help me. So they got me, they, they had me see, a, I think they, they're psychiatrists. Those are the people who prescribe it. Sat down, gave me a prescription for Adderall. And uh, I was so juiced about it because she's like, listen, I was like, well, the way my, my college classes work is I have courses in the morning. Then I go work at Applebee's as a waiter, and then Dude, I have. Courses. I worked at Applebee's. We're like exactly we're the, the same, same freaking person. person. We're the same. You just have a better beard than me. I have patches. <laughs> you have a full adult beard. So, uh, so uh, I so she's like, cool, no problem. You know, say less. Uh, I'll give you this prescription that uh, it's time released. So, take one in the morning, uh, and then you'll go to work, and then take one in the evening. That way, you constantly have a little bit of that dose in your system. And they were pretty big. They were like 20 milligrams, right? So I, it was the first day that I just got this prescription filled. And uh, I I was so excited. And again, you shouldn't be like, you should give better instructions, I guess, to a an Adderall or an ADD person because I just <laughs> exactly. kept focusing, I kept focusing <laughs> on the number two. She says two, you take two. So I went, it was morning classes, sorry, it was evening classes. And I popped two in. I didn't take one in the morning and one in the evening. I took two in the evening and I go to <laughs> some 40 milligrams deep of Adderall. <laughs> I probably weigh a buck 90 at the time, buck 80. And I go to computer class beforehand, or not computer class, but the computer lab just to kind of get my brain together. I, I always, because I was always behind on things, I, I felt like I needed to like mentally prepare about like going to school and stuff like that. And I popped 40 milligrams of Adderall in and I was sitting in, in, in the computer lab, and I remember, because I had headphones on, I was listening to something, I was on MySpace for sure, because I remember changing my background in the computer, and I, my tongue was hitting the side of my mouth, side to side, but it was going so loud and so fast that I, I kept seeing <laughs> the guy that was sitting next to me, also in headphones, kind of like looking back at me. So it was making enough of a dent to uh, resonate. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, my my kids, yeah, they're the same way. So with when it comes to learning, my my youngest boy, I I think I have the most patience with him because my wife is wicked smart when it comes to just even schooling period. And so when she does like sight words with Beckham, who's my seven year old, she's like, no, it's this, not that. I go, I I get it, I really do get it, but you also got to understand that you could do more damage right now. So like like. Put me in coach, like, cause I, yeah, I yeah. know I can talk to him. I can motivate him. Like I've done things where I was like, Hey man, I'll give you, if you get your sight words for the week, right, you'll get double the dessert. And these little motivating factors, like I spoke to even to his teacher, she's always getting him these, 
schoolwork back, like, you know, doing below average, below, not on par, not on track. And then I would, I, would, I talked to me like, listen, you gotta like, you, he feels like there's not enough of an exchange. Like it's not a fair exchange, the opportunity cost. Where he's like, you're making me want to work hard about something that I don't care about. Yeah. And there's no reward system. So I was like, listen, if you want to reward him, you don't have to go buy him anything. Like, I, I, it, that's not what we're asking you. Like, in fact, I will give you the budget if you want to like set like a treat budget. But like motivate him with stuff that he's interested in. Is like he's fascinated with rockets. So if you're going to do some kind of schoolwork with him, can we include rockets somewhere in the conversation so at least he gets like sparked by that attention span? Yeah. Because he wants to be an astronaut. He wants to be a rocket scientist, which is awesome. I love watching all this NASA stuff with him. But with the way academia is set, set up right now with kids, there's no way he's ever going to get to that point because yeah. I think the system well, will kind of fail. If he's anything like you know me or you or my son, like I would always – I'd hate school, but anytime we had like a creative project where we had to build something or do something like that, I always was great at that. Yeah. I loved like the creativity part, the using your hands part. And I feel like there's just different personalities. And unfortunately, school is really geared towards the academic analytical personality. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. My son learns way better if we're building something versus we're just, you know, writing numbers down on a piece of paper. Yeah. I think people like you, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like people who are so heavily AD, ADD uh, infused, if you will, um, we one thing that we're good at is solving problems, right? Because mm -hmm. I think there's a part of our brain that goes, you ever have a, like an old truck or anything like that, like carbureted truck? Yeah. Right. So let's say before your dad or anybody ever taught you about how carburetors work, you maybe had a little bit of shop class where it's like, well, the Venturi principle look, works like this. Right. Or in order to have combustion, you need air, you need a spark and then you need fuel and then you have combustion. I think one of the things I have and I spoke to my wife about it is that is that people like us ask a lot of questions of why something works. Right. And so that allows for you to be able to solve problems. So what ends up happening is so I went to school for, to be a respiratory therapist and that's what I graduated and I worked as a respiratory therapist for, se for seven years and I worked in so wait, uh, ER. We, you went to school in healthcare. I went to school yeah. to be a nurse. We both worked and I, I, I started nursing. I started nursing. <laughs> I started the same person. We are the same person. Um, and, um, and I was the worst of my class in school, the worst, but not to toot my own horn, but I felt like I was far more superior when I was actually working in the hospital because the whole time we're learning about diseases that I've never saw. Like I've yeah. never seen a person with emphysema and how they sit uh, and how they talk and how they breathe. I've never seen uh, a person with COPD with an exacerbation. I've never seen a severe asthma attack. I've never seen constriction, bronchial constriction. I've never seen those things. So I'm reading about them. And I'm reading about the disease and I'm reading about the solution and the therapeutics and the treatments and the different uh, 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 medicine and how they, they work uh, and, and counter and the steroids. But I never saw them in real life. So these are all just Maybelline theories. Like we could, yeah. we could talk about the Arunaki, but nobody's ever seen the Arunaki. Like, so I mean, so like, how do we know? But then it wasn't until I got into the hospital and I started seeing the patients and I saw action and reaction and I, I tried things and they made people feel better. And then I finally started understanding how all these theories, they all work, that because I 
I knew the why. I, I also was able to hone the like, calm yourself down, just like, you've been here before kind of thing versus a lot of my other colleagues would allow for the stress to block their brain. And I guess where I'm going with this is a person who has ADD, and I remember, and I'd love to hear your uh, uh, background on what Ritalin did to your, for your brain and how it helped you process. Because what I know about me is I haven't taken Adderall in the last, I'm 30, almost 34 this summer. Um, I haven't taken Adderall since I was 19 years old. And um, one thing I know right now, if it's an emergency situation, if it's like a car accident or my child who's in distress or whatever, somehow my brain can just slow itself down and yeah. help like go, okay, let me process this. Just calm. As long as you don't get angry or get frustrated, just calm yourself down and just... It allows for you to see things a little bit more slow motion when other people, like my wife, who's really good at school, she locks up. So if, if we're pulling up to the side of the road and she sees a couple of traces of blood and you know sirens flashing, she just kind of closes up to herself and she doesn't know how to access, get blood to her brain. She doesn't know how to process information. So she kind of locks up versus with me, I go, okay, what do we know and what do we don't know? Yeah, so I yeah. think people like us kind of do that. What's your experience? Because uh, I'd love to share my experience with Adderall. What's your experience with Ritalin when you when when you got it? Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar. Like when I was in nursing school, I did okay at the schooling, not great. I definitely wasn't like top of my class. I was like middle to low end of my class until we got into like rotationals and working in the hospital and working in like I worked in a retirement home for a long time. And I think it's because <laughs> people like me and you were so bad at education that when we get into those situations where like the shit hits the fan, where a really analytical, educationally minded person is going to immediately like freeze up because they're trying to analyze their brain and recall the information that they've learned. Like they think I have to have been taught something in my education to account for this situation. And I think that's what causes the freeze up where when we're so bad at education to begin with, we're much more not to say that they're not relational, but we're more relational. We're more in tune with the actual like present situation that we look at it and we aren't going <laughs> to we're not going to try and draw on our education. We suck at that. So we're going to stay in the moment and we're going to analyze the situation and be like, okay, what needs to be done? Because I'm the same way. Like I'm pretty good in like crappy, like trauma situations. I always was in nursing school where other people would freeze up. And I think it's because my brain doesn't go to that educational point. It just stays in the moment and looks mm -hmm. at like the signs. Okay. What's going on? What needs to be addressed first? And there is an advantage to that. I mean, sure, I would love to have like a photographic memory and be able to remember every little thing I ever learned in school. I feel like that'd be very helpful. But uh, above that, there's like street knowledge, right? I mean, there's just, mm -hmm. there's just know-how and there's the knack. You have it or you don't have it. There's also uh, a level of um, recalling something. I feel like people like you and I, instead of our, our brain scattering going, okay, okay, how does the disease process work and what, what kind of an, you know, antigens or antibodies or whatever things that we have to give them, we go, okay, for some weird reason, like I remember, we have like word association. You ever, you kind of experienced that thing? Yeah, where, like, for I remember, sure. Yeah, I remember the way I got through high school uh, Spanish class was 
the way I would learn terminology was what that word reminded me of when I thought about it or yeah, what it yeah. sounded like. So Rhyming like, oh, was the big thing for me. Like I could, yeah. if I could make something rhyme, I could remember it. Like I remember in yeah. nursing school, like, oh, if the patient's red, then raise their head. If they're white as a sheet, yeah. raise their feet. Like I could remember that stuff super easy. Yeah. If you we, told me like, oh, they're red because the capillaries in their brain are getting more oxygen, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I can't remember that. Like, whatever. I mean, if they're red, raise their head. I can remember that it rhymes. <laughs> or or the cardiac leads where you're like smoke over fire. Like that stuff stays in the back of your head. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like I, 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 you know, we would have those kind of things like, like right now I love to watch, even as a 34 year old, I love to watch like, uh, you know, prepper kind of stuff or like emergency response stuff like in the field. And just like the simple things that somebody would say, like in terms of like situational control, situational awareness, like that stuff just like resonates and just somehow gets planted in the back of my mind that I don't have to go over that when the thing actually happens, you go, okay, I got to control the center line. I don't think about their center line, right? I did jujitsu for a few years. If you want to take somebody down, you got to control their center line. You don't go, go, okay, so what our training has taught us is you got to control. You go, okay, if I make my center line line up with this guy's center line close together and get an underhook on him, I have now a dominance over this guy. That's just like we, I guess our brains simplify things when we go to school and instead of getting a simple solution to a complicated answer, we get complicated answers to complicated, you know, questions. Yeah, yeah. The one thing, so I did, I did, it makes it sound like I'm doing hard drugs. I did some Ritalin (laughs) in in middle school and high school. Um, But the problem with Ritalin for me was it definitely helped me learn. It helped me calm down and stay focused, but it completely changed my personality to the point Mm. that I I struggled with depression in high school whenever I was on Ritalin. And eventually I stopped taking it for that reason. And then after I got through high school, and it wasn't until like a few years ago that I was working by myself, I didn't have an employee at that point, I had such a hard time staying focused on just any task. I would get so distracted. I'd be like walking across my shop to get a screwdriver, and on the way I'd see like six other things, and then an hour later be like, oh yeah, I need the screwdriver. To like, It was just yeah. such a problem that I eventually went to the doctor and I was like, I think I need to get back on something. So they prescribed me Adderall. And honestly, it was great. And I would describe it to people in the way that before I felt like I was trying to work in the crowd of like a loud, like I was at a rock concert and I was in the crowd and I was trying to work. And when I was on Ritalin, it was like all that noise was gone. I could actually like focus. I wasn't dealing with all these other distractions. But the issue was still that it affected my personality and I would see my content go way down when I was on Adderall because I was so focused on getting things done. I wasn't thinking about like doing Instagram stories or being funny. And I feel like that's a big part of my YouTube channel is the entertainment factor. And so I recently this at the beginning of this year, I hired an employee and I stopped taking Adderall, but my employee has kind of become my Adderall because I have somebody there now to like keep me on task and keep me focused and help me remember appointments and do my scheduling and respond to emails. And so at this point, I don't feel like I need the Adderall because I have a person. They are essentially my Adderall. They do everything the Adderall did for me. And I can come back to like actually just being myself, which has been great. I mean, Adderall is awesome. It's a great drug to help you stay focused. 
I don't wish it on anybody though. Like mm. it's sad to think because it does it. You can't deny it changes who you are at your core. And I don't think there's anything wrong with who you are. Like you're yeah. made a certain way and that's awesome. But there are certain circumstances where you just can't get anything done and you need it. But if you can avoid it, I would say avoid it. Yeah. I, you know, I wish I had a better, you know, I, I guess a case study to see like what, what did it look like for me to have Adderall when I was, you know, nine, 18, 19 to me being 34, because to be honest with you, we got it without me having medical insurance. My parents got it for me. And my parents were like, dude, to refill this, this is like 400 bucks. So they, I only had one month supply of Adderall, but kind of like what you said, you analyzed that your employee is now your Adderall, which they're kind of, they're, they're helping you keep the world in order, right? Yeah. I, I, I remember, and, and again, this is why our brains are wired the same way, where we ask, okay, what's the problem and what's the solution? I remember when I was taking Adderall for that month, in, in, in school in college I I remember one distinct thing I remember how I could have because you said an example without Adderall it felt like you're at a noisy rock concert and now it's such a that's actually the most appropriate way to describe it you're trying to listen you're trying to focus but you can't everything's just distracting to you and I remember when I first got the prescription I could sit and I could watch Netflix on one computer read while reading the chapter for the day you know what i mean like in the book yeah. and be able to retain both and both would go into cubbies in my brain that both i could access so even though this distraction on the on the right on netflix maybe i'm watching the office is like distracting me while i'm reading about the ottoman empire when it comes to taking the test there's certain things that will trigger to recall the information because those okay go go into that cubby and pull out so while multiple things are happening, the recorder is still recording. So the way I started breaking down, okay, well, how do I solve this so that I can't be on this? So I created, so math, because math was one of the most complicated subjects for me, was I, I got a composition book for every course, but math is the greatest example. And I got one of those cheap pens that had that red, green, black, and blue ink in it. You know what I mean? Those little, yeah, that yeah. orange pen. So I'd go right after, so I sit in class, that class was what, hour long, whatever it is. And I jot down every piece of chicken scratch that the professor put on the board. And then I would take that chicken scratch, not even comprehending, not even processing, just whatever he writes, I write. Whatever he says, I say, I write. I would go to the computer lab afterwards, and then I would basically rewrite all the chicken scratch into this nice composition notebook with every step being a different color. And the way I basically started associating how to solve logarithms or anything in my brain was associating be like, okay, well, first we do everything is written in black, then the next step is green, then the next step is blue, and then the next step is, you know, uh, red. So you kind of associate color and direction for your brain to piggyback off of those cubbies. Yeah. So it was it was the same thing that, that your, you know, that your employee kind of does for you. Um, let me ask you this, because you said about being funny, and this is so interesting, because this is why I love your content, but I'm also not only shocked that you're only been doing YouTube so successfully for two years, but I'm also not shocked because how good your content is. And you have an interesting type of content that you create and the voice that you found. And I don't know if you explore that voice or just that's just you from day one, but you never really said, okay guys, so what we're gonna do here is, this is what traditionally 
uh, DIY or YouTube content creators in the building world would do, they would start with voiceover. So for this project, I'm using this, I'm using pocket holes. If you don't have pocket holes, use a biscuit joiner. If you don't have a biscuit joiner, do this. And then here I'm doing, I'm saying the project from 120 or from 80 to 120 to You don't do that. What you do is, and I, I'd love to find out how you created either a character or this voice or this kind of approach, but you kind of remind me, and I'm bad about giving example, you know, really hitting the nail on the head, so I don't want to be offensive. You have this like, little bit of this like British humor, your face is always straight, <laughs> it's kind of dryish, but that's the part that makes it funny. Like, you know, I don't think you you ever see a smile on your face. It's like your beard overtakes your face so you don't know what the expression is. Like where, is that a character or where did that all come from? No, man, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's just me. If you hang out with me, like that's, what you see on YouTube is what, how I am, it, it literally is. And I think the reason my content might be different is because like I said, I don't watch YouTube. I hadn't like done this huge case study of all the different woodworking channels out there and seen how everybody else had done it. I got on YouTube without watching anybody else and just started doing it the way that I wanted to do it. Mm. And so I have no clue if mine's like different than other people's because of this, that, and the other. It's just how I do it. I mean, I definitely have a dry sense of humor and my voiceovers like my friend um, Keith Johnson, KJ Sawdust, it's so funny because he is the complete opposite of me in every single way when it comes to YouTube. When he does his voiceovers, he'll like write out a full script and he'll spend like eight hours doing his voiceover. For a 30 minute video, it usually takes me about 45 minutes to do a voiceover because I will sit down after editing my video, I will watch it, I will do my voiceover while I watch it until I get to the end of it and like, that's it. I don't re-record stuff. If I fumble my words, I just like make a joke about it and move on. I mean, it's just, <laughs> call it laziness, call it whatever you want. I mean, it's just me. That's what, I, I mean, that's how I do it. I don't, I don't know. Why, um, and I, I, I don't know if this is more an appropriate question because you said that you don't analyze what works or what doesn't. You just kind of do you kind of thing. And if you said that to me, like, Six to eight years ago, I just do me. Have you heard of a, a, a YouTuber, which you, you said you don't watch it, but like PewDiePie? Have you ever heard of PewDiePie? Only like in jokes. It, doesn't he like the like the biggest one on YouTube or something? He's one of the biggest ones on YouTube. Uh, they, he was one of the original ones who kind of got. He caused a what's called a uh, an ad apocalypse back in two thousand. I want to say six or two thousand nine. I think two thousand nine, where. He said something. He's this really. He's a Swedish. He's a Swedish content creator who basically comments on stuff. He's got a character, just like Sasha. Uh, is it Baron or Born? Baron, right? Uh, Borat. Uh, who's no, who's the uh, guy that, that the Borat guy? Yeah, Borat guy. Is that Sasha Baron? I have. I, oh, anyway, the Borat guy. The Borat, Borat guy has characters, right? So PewDiePie is also another guy who created this character, this obnoxious voice, and you know. He said something that was on the racist side in terms of like Nazi stuff. Anywho, caused a lot of caused things called the ad pocket. A bunch of brands pulled out of sponsoring YouTubers, even like AdSense stuff. So everybody kind of went broke for a little bit. Um, so he created a character. You don't study your analytics and see what works or what doesn't work. But what made you 
figure out your voice and to continue with that voice? Was it literally like the first day you, you made a video, you put it out and you did you, like you said, and then it performed well, or was there like a dry spell before things finally started working? Um, I mean, when I first started YouTube, I had no set goals. It was just, it was simply, here's something to, to give me something to do while I wait for this stupid pandemic to be over and clients to be ready to spend money again. It was simply to occupy my time. So at that point, I didn't care if it was successful. I never dreamt that it would be successful enough that I would eventually stop doing client work and do YouTube full time. I didn't think that was a possibility at all. I just needed something to do. I can't sit still. So I started doing videos. And the reason voiceover and like being on camera is easy for me is I, I don't have a character. Like if you talk to my employee, Craig, he will tell you I am no different in my interactions with him or in the shop when nobody's around than I am when the camera's rolling. It's exactly the same. I just never felt a need to like create something else. And so I don't know. It just, I never like feel like I found my voice. I just turned the camera on, talked like I normally do. And that's my video. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's both encouraging and frustrating um, to hear because I remember I always tell people it took me like 68 videos to finally have a video start popping off. And a lot of the times they popped off because they were like large scale home renovation projects. Right. So there was not a lot of people who were doing it at that rate um, or frequency. So to hear somebody be like, well, yeah, two years ago, I just turned on the camera and I just kind of, you know, did me and it worked. That's the part that like both inspires me. Cause I'm going to go, okay, cool. Then, cause a lot of times, again, I'm, I, I, we we're, we're so much into this YouTube community that you constantly talk to other people. Like I obsess about numbers and analytics and what works, what doesn't work. How much do we need to trim the intro? How much do we need to, how much do we need to pick up the pace? I'm so obsessed about those numbers that a lot of the people that I'm in community with on YouTube, you know, they've been doing it just like me for so long when it didn't work that when it finally worked we're we're trying to hold on so hard to make sure that we don't lose it again and we're we're ahead of the curve so yeah. it's so refreshing to see somebody who goes but you also have a very there's nobody else like you that's the thing right i i guess that's like another aspect that needs to be understood like the I'm same way we're all snowflakes. Well, you're a snowflake. You're, you're a snow. <laughs> if you look under a microscope, there's no pattern. Like, because the thing is, is like, it's a Casey Neistat. Again, I don't know because you don't watch YouTube. I don't know if that that rings a bell, but I don't. Know I remember when I started. I, what's up? Oh, you I know who know. he is. Who you know, Casey know. But like when I started, I I kind of replicated a lot of his stuff in the way he had like camera mannerisms, and people were like, "Oh, this Casey Neistat wannabe." Which I'm sure that if I started, if I the next video I put out. I tried to mimic you. People would be like, "Oh, you're being bourbon moth." So it's it's you've you've cre you you didn't create a character because it's, it's you, but you you're able to right out of the gates come up with something that made people like attracted to it. And that was well, I would love to say like, "Oh yeah, I did a lot of research. I realized this was a hole that nobody was filling, and so I like did this, 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 and that." No, it's just dumb luck. I'm not like super smart. I'm not super skilled. 
it just was complete luck, if that's the case, that I happened to do things in a different way that people latched onto. It's interesting because I, like I said, I the reason I started doing YouTube is because I had a ton of friends that were already doing YouTube. That was their full-time career. A really good friend of mine is Anne of All Trades. Um, who's oh, yeah, I love like, Anne. Yeah, like Anne's a super good friend. She used to live up in Seattle. Yeah, Bum, I did. She, a, she, she taught me how to blacksmith. Yeah, she's great. And so she gave me a ton of advice on YouTube and content and that sort of thing. And like, I just, it's funny. I, when I started doing woodworking and client work, I started posting pictures on Instagram in the hopes that I would get more clients. So all of my pictures and little videos were like beauty shots of finished pieces. And I thought this is a great way to advertise. I'm going to put this up here. People are going to see my stuff and they're going to order things. And it didn't work that way. It wasn't until I started posting process shots or process videos on Instagram that I started really growing on Instagram. And then the strangest thing happened where companies started reaching out and wanting to like sponsor stuff on Instagram, which was never a goal of mine. And so I started getting like company sponsorship for, you know, just using their tools or whatever. And so I was familiar with the whole sponsorship thing before I switched to YouTube. And then I got reached out to from um, Rubio Monaco, which is a Finnish. I don't know if you've ever used their stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were putting together a, it was like a class um, with Festool down in Texas. And it was the first time they ever did this. They brought a bunch of like makers from Instagram down to Texas. And there was like a Festool Rubio Monaco partnership. And we built like it was this competition thing. And they still do it. They're actually doing one this week within a whole nother class. I think this is like their sixth or eighth one. But I was down at the first one. But it was funny because I was there with a bunch of people who were really into the content. And that's what they were trying to do is content, content, content. And I felt like the only person there who didn't belong because I started posting stuff to try and get clients. And all of a sudden I'm down at this like content creators thing. I didn't even know what a content creator was. But I met a lot of people doing content and YouTube. And so I made a lot of friends that were in YouTube. So everyone was always telling me, you, you should get on YouTube, you should do this, this is where the money's at. And then when I started working with sponsors from Instagram, the sponsors were saying the same thing, like, hey, we can pay you this much on Instagram, but I'm telling you, if you get on YouTube, we can pay you more. And I was always like, I don't have time for that, I'm doing client work, it's fine. And then the pandemic happened, and so I said, well, I got time now, I might as well try it. And that's when the YouTube thing happened. And it was just dumb luck. I mean, that's all I have to say about it. And I feel like our content is similar in the way of when I look at your content, it seems like a lot of your content is working on your own house and like your own projects around the house and fixing things up. And I feel very lucky in the way of if you look at my content for the last year and a half, I've just been doing my remodel. It's all the things my wife has been begging me to do for years that I haven't had time. But now that I'm doing content, I actually have the time to do it. Yeah. But I don't Do you, know why, why it's successful. I, it's probably really frustrating. Like I went to um, the workbench conference this last year and a lot of people come up to me and say like, what's your advice for being successful on YouTube? I honestly don't know. I just, <laughs> I mean, and I'm not trying yeah, I'm to like play it down. I really don't. I just turn on the camera, film what I'm doing and that's it. I wish I had some secret. I don't. I, the only reason I'm laughing when you said that is because I had the first scene in my head pop up from a, uh, from the office 
when Michael Scott, you're familiar with The Office, I'm oh, sure, yeah, with your type of sure. My, Michael Scott gets called in by David uh, in New York, and they go, your branch has been the most successful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he starts the sentence, and he goes, sometimes I start, David, the rules, the, I live by one rule. Here's what you have. So basically, sometimes, sometimes I start talking, and I don't know where it's going, and I just hope that I find it along the way. Let's order some pasta. Let's order some pasta. <laughs> god bless your heart jason man it's 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 uh, i mean i think those are the most i've never met somebody i've heard of people like you who didn't they stumbled across this thing with just being themselves and i i mean i will say there's a level of myself in my videos but just like anything when the camera goes on you have to kind of turn it on from from five and put it up to 11, right? And so there's a level of like animating yourself that I do. But it was also me jumping back and forth of what worked, what didn't, right? Voiceovers and this and this other thing and now give more energy. So it's it's really, it is really refreshing because end of the day, so I, I had my high peaks in YouTube. Uh, well, I, I started with low peaks. Nothing happened. Then finally traction happened. One video popped off. The next video popped off. And then they just kind of lit all these other videos and boom, the audience started growing. But then what myself and a lot of the other people who were kind of in this for a, a while saw was like there's a every peak plateaus, right? And so have you ever has that thought, has that thought crossed your mind of what happens when the numbers now, not that this is all goes away, but the numbers start dipping. Has that mm -hmm. ever crossed your mind or you don't kind of let your brain go there? No, it definitely has. I mean, I'm really enjoying life right now. I mean, I told my wife before the pandemic happened. I remember the year before the pandemic happened was a really hard year for me. I was working completely by myself. I was taking on so much client work that I was basically doing a piece a week for the entire year. And so I wasn't even enjoying the building process. It was get a piece done, get it out the door, start on the next piece every single week. I didn't take a vacation. I didn't take any days off for an entire year. And I was pretty burnt out by the end of the year. And I remember we went away and we got a little Airbnb for Christmas. And I was telling her like, if I could do anything, I would just build whatever I wanted. Clients weren't dictating my projects. I could just build whatever I wanted. I was my own boss and that was it, like just for fun. And she's like, so your dream job is just to do whatever you want and get paid for it. I think that's everyone's dream job. That's never going to happen. And then three months later, the pandemic happened. And that's literally what I'm doing now mm -hmm. is if I have an idea, I can build it. I feel so lucky and so fortunate. But at the same time, I'm very aware that, I mean, I look at MySpace. You, you mentioned like you were checking your MySpace when you were in college. I look at things like that. That was a platform that was incredibly popular. Everybody was on and it doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, I'm sure it does in some weird like dark web scenario. If you search deep enough, you could find MySpace. But I have that thought of like YouTube's great and that allows me to do whatever I want. But there is a chance that this could all come crashing down. But worst case scenario in my mind is I go back to what I used to do which was client work and that was a business I started because I loved doing it sure I had some really hard years where I got burnt out but at the end of the day that's how my brain works I would rather be building something with my hands than doing anything else so if YouTube fails 
I can always fall back to just building stuff and I'm okay with that. I came from a pretty poor upbringing. My dad was a Baptist minister at a really small church, made hardly any money, and my mom was a school teacher at a really small school in the middle of the Navajo reservation. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so I feel like I'm just really lucky right now. I feel very blessed and I'm taken care of, but if that all goes away, I'm okay with that too. Like, Hmm. and I try and, I try and maintain that balance. I don't want to get used to like the, the life I have now. I want to always, I want to wake up every morning and feel like, man, I'm really lucky to be here. I never want to feel entitled about it. Like, this is what I should have. And if it goes away, that's the end of the world. No, I mean, if that's a short blip in my life, hey, that was a really good blip. Mm. And we're going to be okay. Yeah, that's a that's a, a really great and healthy perspective. I definitely don't think entitlement is something that I ever have to worry about because I, the same way I asked you a question about reading comments you like i'll read for the first 30 minutes and then i don't read them and i kind of treat the same approach but my my duration is a little bit longer i usually go i'll read them for about the first eight to ten hours and then like the first day essentially and then the next day that's when the trolls come out and i don't read them um but it's the same way i i know not to pay attention to things meaning like don't pay attention to the trolls but also don't pay attention to the success Right. Just just keep doing just keep doing the stuff that I one of the things that I love you're talking about how much you love your life and where you are. But you're also not afraid to go back to where you were, meaning just like taking on client work. Um, You know, I, I I I treat everything as if as if it's nothing's impressive. Right. Like my wife will be like, oh, you know, your project got featured in Better Homes and Garden or whatever, or, or hey, you got X amount of views on a video. I go, well, don't, don't make a, don't look at it because if you look at it, then you'll allow either ego to get in the way or expectations to get in the way. But if you just keep putting your chin forward and just keep doing the stuff that works, and then when something doesn't work, you're just figuring out stuff like how to make it work then you're always, I think, always going to be successful in that thing. And I think that's where I'm always consumed by is don't look at stuff, whether good or bad, just keep doing and enjoying. That's it. Yeah. 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 I remember when I first started YouTube and I had the thought of like, it had grown to the point where I was like, I wonder if I could do this full time. And I like, it's very unlike me to write anything down and like study something. Cause that's just not the brain, the way my brain works. But I wrote down the numbers of like ad revenue and this revenue and that revenue. And I was like, if I could make $2,000 a month, then I could, I could do this full time. I mean, that was my like set bar, like two grand a month. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously you make way more than that on YouTube. But at that time, I was like, I would be so happy with that. That's Mm. fine. That's enough money with my wife's income. Like, we could pay our mortgage. We could buy groceries. We could do everything we want to do. I'm okay with going back there. That doesn't scare me at all. I just have never... Maybe it's because I grew up poor, but I've never been like, I have to have money to be happy. I don't think that's true at all. Like, Yeah. 
Well, I think I don't think I don't think everybody has that feeling of like I have to have it to be because I grew up as again as an immigrant I grew up poor as well and then when we first got married my wife married me where we were making I was bringing twelve hundred bucks a month between the three of us right so it's like yeah it, it you know poverty is all I knew to me I have more of this driving forces like my wife has always been the one that she didn't motivate me but she's always the person I always wanted to impress like I don't care about running into somebody and they go, Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, watch your channel. Like that's a cool fuzzy feeling for a second. But end of the day, whether when I first started to what I'm doing now is like, I've always wanted to constantly impress her and I can't impress her. Like she's always really proud of me, but I, I can't impress her. So to me, everything is always driving about not that one day things will be lost because I feel like I've diversified enough that when YouTube numbers are low, the Facebook numbers are high, the revenue from Facebook or when Facebook numbers are low, then, you know, the Instagram revenue, you know what I mean? It all just kind of is diversified enough. But to me, the driving force has always been like, because she married a broke kid, I, I want her to like, to just keep impressing her now. Like I want her to feel like I'm John Samos right now every day, Yeah, you know? And well, for me, like this last year was a big feel good moment for me because my wife is an incredibly hard worker. So before I was doing woodworking, we started our own business together, which was textile like screen printing. And it started as just a complete hobby, something to do. We would draw images and then we started carving our own little like rubber block prints. And this was right when Etsy was first a thing. And so we would do it for fun. This is back when I was still in school and we'd like make our own images and we'd print them on tea towels and stuff. And we started putting them on Etsy and that started becoming like a legit business. So that's what actually made me drop out of nursing school was to manage that business full time. And then it wasn't until we bought a house that we needed furniture and I started doing woodworking. But she's kept that business going for 12 years now and works incredibly hard. And this last year, I finally was able to say like, babe, she's kind of lost the desire to do it. It's become a job and not like a fun artistic outlet for her. And so this last year I was able to say, hey, I'm making enough money now, you don't have to do this anymore. You can just focus on being artistic and doing that. And that was a huge step and that made me feel so good. So when I think about the future, that's the only thing that I'm like, that would suck to have everything else slow down so much that I would be like, you have to start working again. Cause it felt so good to give that gift to her, to be able to say like, you can just enjoy being an artist and not have to make a job out of it. So that's like the one thing where I'm like, man, I hope that doesn't happen, but yeah, I don't know. You can't control the future. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. We, we had a similar conversation. I remember when, I was doing the two jobs, doing YouTube videos and working at the hospital, you know, 12 and a half hour shifts. And, you know, my wife, she, like a lot of people, liked a lot of the nicer things, you know, the rugs and the couches and all that stuff. And I remember one time we got in a fight and I was like, hey, listen, if you want, I want the nice things too, but I can't pick up any more work. Like, I, I'm just so stretched thin. And I was like, you're going to have to, you know, get a job or something. And she's like, I'm sorry, because I've always been pressuring her to like start a company. I was like, you're way too talented, like either start blogging or whatever, like, you know. And so she didn't talk to me for like a day, came back. She goes, I'm thinking <laughs> about starting this. I'm thinking about starting the staging business. And, uh, and I was like, cool, awesome. Let's do it. 
And uh, it was just like bombs away after that. She rocked it. She got a name for herself here in Boise, like as a local person, like just destroyed the market here. And it was the same situation where it got to the point. I saw how she loved what she did and she was so kick-ass at doing it. But as a content creator, I'm always like, hey, you got to focus on internet money. Internet money is different money than local money, you know? And uh, she's like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm doing this parade of home and I'm doing that parade of home. And and she's winning all these awards locally from these builders. And it got to the point where I was like, hey, you don't have, like, again, the same way, like when you're enough traffic is coming in that you're like, hey, if you, you don't, I thought she was getting burned out. I was like, you don't have to do this. If you want to like take time and just kind of work on just creating your online presence, I just want you to know you don't have to like, we're, we're good. We're so good right now. And, uh, uh she did it. And so now she got, she kind of gets to like, she, by her decision, she shut down her business. She sold it off. She still considers it a, a win. Um, and so do I, but it's cool. Cause she kind of has this, like now this kind of eat, pray, love season where she's like, I'm experiencing with experimenting with TikTok, and we're doing a podcast together and this, like she's getting her like creative juices out of like saying like, what do I want to do? And the same way, it's like, it feels so cool to just be able to allow for somebody or, or create a scenario that somebody can use that and, and, and build something out of it. Um, which kind of leads me into this like next point that I want to ask you, do you, a lot of people experience this when they run their own businesses, maybe like one or two businesses they've already had. And I've never had that before having my own business, but there's this like level of feeling like everything is always going to be okay. Cause I feel like when you work for somebody and you have a really great job and you're terrified of losing that job, cause it has maybe great benefits and everything and maybe opportunities and where you're living is, is not that great that you're so scared of losing that thing that it prevents from you from taking chances. But then when you've had a business, there's almost like this like awakening that happens when you go, well, if YouTube shuts down, then I'm going to go start a t-shirt printing business or, and if that doesn't work out, I will go and start this other thing. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel like there's this kind of like awakening and unleashing that happens of like those endless possibilities? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm in a unique position in that other than like small jobs here and there to get me through college in my professional career, I've only ever worked for myself and owned my own business. So I dropped out of nursing school to help my wife start her like art based business. And then that transformed into the woodworking business. And then that transformed into the YouTube business. So I don't really know anything. I've never worked professionally for somebody else. I've always been my own boss. And I see how if you have enough like motivation and you are okay with working hard, like you can build a business pretty much out of anything. I mean, that you dive into. And so that, yeah, just doesn't worry me that much. If woodworking ended, I've often thought like, what if I'm in the wood shop and something crazy happens and I injure myself to the point that I can't woodwork anymore? I mean, that'd have to be a pretty crazy injury, but what if I like, I'm running across the shop and I slip on a banana peel and I fall face flat on the table saw and I slice my face in half and I'm blind. Well, I don't know. People have said I have a pretty sexy voice. Maybe I can do voiceovers for Audible. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, <laughs> there's yeah. always something. If you have the well, motivation. you can't you have, see at that point. Well, it's okay. I can maybe have like a headphone that tells me what to say and then I'll oh, say Oh, you can do Braille. Yeah, <laughs> you can Braille. Do Braille. I mean, 
don't don't destroy my dreams okay there's always something and i'm just it'll be okay it'll be fine that's that's that the nobody tells me when to die perspective it's such a powerful perspective that i a lot of people don't get to experience because whether we're driven through this like fear mongling life or whatever it is but i remember i i broke this arm in half um, I have two steel plates in here. The radial and the ulnar bone broke completely in half. Karate chopped it. And I had to be in a cast. And I was really waiting to see if I'm going to have like an identity crisis issue. It's like, well, I can't use my arm. I can't build. And I was really impressed that maybe it's because of the people that I was consuming their content, like Jocko Willink or David Goggins or Cameron Haynes. I don't know if any of these like ring a bell. They're these kind of like endurance performance athletes well i know cameron like, haynes because yeah cameron haynes there. who doesn't know yeah. cameron haynes right but like all these like savage and by the way they're all friends by the, all those guys they're all buddies um wow. these you know one percenters right um and it, i think if i didn't consume those people's content that made you like toughen up and have more of like this like limitless perspective i think i would have allowed my weak brain to get in the way and feel like whoa me my identity's crushed. I can't use tools. I can't create videos. I can't. But instead, what ended up happening was the other part of my brain kicked in and was like, "No, no, no! You're gonna figure shit out. You know, you're gonna you're gonna go and 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 still build, but you're gonna build with one hand. And guess what? You're gonna start a hashtag called, you know, one hand challenge or something like that. It's it it it. There's this limitless perspective that happens, and I think there's people who are. And I don't know, were you born with this or did you see this or example through or, or is it something that you just kind of learned from experiences? I don't know. It's hard because like I mentioned, like people will come up to me and say like, hey, what's advice for YouTube, blah, 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 blah. And it, it makes me feel like a douche to say this, but I feel like with some people you either have it or you don't mm-hmm. have it, especially with like personality and trying to make videos and being on camera. But think the same goes goes for work ethic like either you have that drive that nothing is going to stop you you're not going to fail and if you do you're going to find another way and another way and if that fails you're going to find another way like some people have that drive and some people just don't and for whatever you don't think reason, you can teach that you don't think you can cultivate that drive no i think you can cultivate it i think it takes a lot of hard work and unfortunately the people that don't have that drive are the same people that are going to start to do the work to get there and then be like F this, like this is too much work. I'm not going to do it. And that sounds harsh, but, and maybe that's going to piss people off, but I feel like the only people that really get stuff done are the people that get pissed off. And they say like, no, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm pissed off enough. I'm going to make it work no matter what. So if that pisses you off, we'll let that pissed off feeling like fuel you to get it done. I mean, I don't know. I do think it can be taught, but I think it's a, a long road. And not to say like, oh, I'm I'm amazing. I can just do it anyways. No, I mean, it's hard work. There's no going around the fact that it's hard work. And if you're willing to work hard, you can pretty much do anything. There's just, unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays that don't want to work hard. Yeah. Do you have anything, and we'll wrap up with this. Do you have anything that that's going to be different 
in your approach to things or maybe your you know the type of content you're shooting for bourbon moth here in the future is there some yeah, ideas so, <laughs> there definitely is because as i mentioned i have for the last year and a half two years been doing a lot of home projects because i've been i started a remodel when i was doing uh, client work and then i started doing content i was like this is great i can do all these home projects for content so i've relied on that heavily like if i need a video i'll do a project around the house but my house is only so big and i'm getting to the end of my list of projects to do around the house so pretty soon here i'm going to run out of home projects to fulfill my content needs and that'll be really interesting because for the first time in my content career, I will be at the point where I'm gonna have to just come up with things to do for content. And I honestly don't know what that's gonna look like. It's exciting in a sense that I could do whatever I want, but it's also scary because I have to actually think of things to do. So I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what else you, you take this into because it's really cool. Like I said, I've been really motivated hearing you talk about I'm fascinated. I thought you've been doing this for such a long time, but you've been doing this for two years and you're extremely successful in this. Um, and you have that. a, you have a devoted following of people who want to come back and see more of you and not just the projects. And I think that's the hardest part is you can go, I'm going to create a badass project, but end of the day, the devoted people who are coming back are the people who want to see you. And that's, that's yeah. really, well, impressive. you probably know just as well as anybody that, all the projects that I've gotten really excited about and I'm like, oh, this is going to kill on YouTube. Nobody cares about. Mm -hmm. It's all the lame, like thrown together builds that I do in two seconds that are super simple, that those are the ones that do well on YouTube. And that's where I have to step back and I have to say, am I doing this to please YouTube or am I doing this to find enjoyment in my own life? And at the end of the day, I think that's the thing is like, I want to make money. I want to support my family, but I also want to do something that I enjoy. So I'm just not going to let YouTube dictate what I do and don't do. Well, you have a very healthy and very mature centered and grounded perspective on things. And that's really cool to see that happen. I'm glad you're not, you know, letting your YouTube success to cause you to do meth and, you know, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. That's really exciting. No, I do the lesser form of meth known as Adderall. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going back to riddle. <laughs> well, Jason, man, uh, dude, it's been so fun talking to you. Um, tell people where they can find you and, and check up on you. Just Google search bourbon moth. <laughs> where did that name come from, by the way? You no, like bourbon? You like I, moth? No, I needed a website and like Jason Hibbs was taken. Jason Hibbs woodworking was taken. Like all the cliche woodworking things were taken. So out of a moment of frustration, I was like, I'm going to pick something so random. It can't be taken. And bourbon, I like bourbon <laughs> moths. They look cool, I guess. That it wasn't taken. So there you go. I have a website and a business name. <laughs> Listen, man, I don't want to be offensive the way I say this. So excuse me if I'm a, I sound offensive, but your lack of preparation and like planning <laughs> and the success that comes from it is like making me frustrated i'm telling you man it's like dumb luck that's all i can say i love it man well you're you're an angel of a person man it's awesome following you i love your content man appreciate you likewise buddy thanks bye, bye.